Yeah, come on, let's welcome Chapel Downtown. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you so much. You can be seated. You can be seated. How's everybody feeling today? Good. It is. I know it's, it's, if you don't like this winter, you just got a problem. Where are the people that want one snow? Anybody want one snow? Where are the people that Thursday was the snow? You accept that. Okay, right. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to look in the back of the room at the camera there and say, good morning, Chapel Downtown. Heard you had an amazing uh, 930. Good morning, 1115. We had a chance to walk through Scott's edition, which is almost done. I mean, finishing touches happening, a lot of the technology and everything going in in uh, about the next 10 days. So we are kind of on the countdown, and I know Pastor Jason's in Informing you that Barch is going to be a little crazy with some uh, some of the different changes happening there, but we're so excited, guys. We're we're less than a couple months away from the chapel at Scott's Edition. Come on, Midlothian, let's make noise for that. We're excited about that. Fastest growing part of our city, and uh, we're excited to launch that going into Easter weekend. We're going to let you know, too, as well, um, uh, in two weeks, our, all of our Easter schedule, because uh, we're rolling out some extra services, our team's planning special music things, after-service hangouts, extra opportunities, just to make as much space and uh, opportunity for people to, to worship with us on Easter weekend. It's a great chance to invite a neighbor, a friend, family member, somebody that maybe doesn't normally connect in church. Easter weekend such a good invite weekend. So be on the lookout for that. We'll hand out invites in the next few weeks and uh, and give you sort of the whole schedule and flow for that. So um, uh, if you're new with us, we started a series two weeks ago. This is sort of the relationship month. And so we started a series on relationships. And a couple weeks ago, it's it's really, it's called Relation Slips, which I know is very clever. And uh, somebody didn't even know that. They didn't read it. They just thought it said relationships, but slips. And uh, it's really built out of King David's life who, who got so many things right, but he got a few things wrong when it came to his own personal world, his private world. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at David and how he uh, had a gap in his integrity. And so you can go back and catch up on that. Last week, we looked at how he, he, he needed to get his, his uh, heart healed from some of the habits and the woundedness that happened in his life. And we learned how that was uh, manifest in his family and, and how God can help us get over that. How, how many people are thankful this weekend that God can help us get past our past, right? So we talked about that last weekend, and, and today I want to talk about, um, it's, I, it, I hope it doesn't sound cheesy, but I want to talk about something that I think is really huge in our life, and it's just how, how to be a good friend, and how to make better friendships, and, and the importance in the Bible of relationships in our life, and, and in fact, somebody told me that they're, between one of the services, that their mom always used to tell them, like, uh, you are who you hang out with, right? And and man, that's just true, isn't it? Aren't we just, we're part of our future is determined by our present relationships. And we're going to talk about that today, that our, that our friendships make us or they break us. That they literally, we're, we're almost a composite of the people that are closest to us. And so we're going to look today uh, um, either how to have better friends or make better friends, how to be the friend that God's uh, called us to be and the need that we have for, for community, okay? So uh, turn to the person next to you and tell them, say, you'd be a good friend. Come on, tell them that, okay? Come on. If that, is this awkward? Anybody sitting next to somebody that they don't know? It's awkward, right? Talk about friendship and 
This is one of the areas that David got really right in his life. In fact, uh, his, his best friend's name was Jonathan, okay? And these, these were guys that, 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 they were best friends, BFFs, okay? David and Jonathan. They had the necklace, you know what I mean? One with the best, the other with the friend. Come on, how, how many know what I'm talking about, right? Pinky swear, uh, whatever. Like, they, these guys were best friends, David and Jonathan, and, and we're going to learn how that friendship actually saved David's life. And I think the same can be true, and we have right relationships and friendships in our life. They can make all the difference. And uh, Jonathan, just to kind of catch us up and get us all, all on the same page, the king before David, his name was Saul, and Jonathan was Saul's son. And so it actually could have been an awkward relationship between David and Jonathan because Jonathan in in some ways was the heir to the throne and yet David was going to become the king and not only that, their friendship hit a kink because Jonathan's dad tried to kill David. How many know that that is throws like a slight curveball into your friendships. Come on. Like, hey, we got along really well. Yeah, but your dad's been trying to kill me. Well, that's a problem. How many know? Come on. Like, that's a problem. And in fact, uh, Saul tries to kill David a couple times, throws spear at him. The second time, David says, no, I'm going to cut you out of my life. And we'll talk about how if somebody tries to kill you, it's okay to build some boundaries. But uh, but uh, David and Jonathan's relationship really starts at the high point of maybe David's introduction into ministry. He goes in and he defends God's name against a Philistine giant named Goliath, who's nine and a half foot feet tall, and he throws that stone at him, knocks him over, runs over, cuts his head off. The people of God win, and, and there's this chanting going on, this celebration that, that this has happened, and all the people are recognizing it, and Saul and David are talking, and it's at that moment that we get a, a peek into the starting friendship between David and Jonathan, 1 Samuel 18. And after David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, And he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing. So this is a picture of his royalty, a picture of his lineage, of his heritage uh, amongst the people of God. And, And he gave it to David along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, his circular saw, his hammer, his baseball glove. Okay, you get the feeling, right? Okay, this is a, this is a guy uh, committing, making a commitment, a connection, a, a, a heartfelt friendship with his brother, his bow and his belt. And starts a friendship between David and Jonathan that will be huge in his life. And I just want to say this because there's probably a few loners in the room that think like, I don't need friends or anything like that. How many know we were wired for relationships? In fact, in fact, I think maybe you could say we're more connected than ever because of social media, Facebook, and Instagram. In fact, let's just take a poll here today in downtown. Where are the people that you've got Facebook? Come on, raise your hand. You got Facebook? Okay, where are the people that you've got Instagram? Come on. Yeah, Instagram. I found out my kids want Instagram, not Facebook, because they say Facebook is for old people, and uh, I find that offensive, don't you? But... Um, it's, it's, we've got more connection than ever before, don't we? We can know what's going on. And yeah, how, how many know we're more isolated than ever before, though? That's just flat out true. We, we kind of know a little bit of what's going on in people's real world, but we, or people's world, but we don't really have connection with one another. How many think we need like actual friendships? Come on, friendships, right? In fact, I'll tell you, um, every once in a while, my, my sister will text me and I'll immediately call her and it'll go to voicemail, but she just texted me. 
How many know she's got that phone, but she's like, well, 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 unless it's an emergency, I ain't answering my phone. And I just want to say this, if you're under the age of 20, you may not know that your, fun- your phone can function with calls as well and not just text. So public service announcement, right? But man, we're so connected in so many ways, but I think so disconnected, and, and I, think, I think we're built for community. So let's unpack a few things that'll help us be better friends, make better friends, all from the life of David. Here's, here's the first thing we see that we, come on, we, say it with me, we what? We, we need friends. We were built for it. In fact, you know, when God created Adam and put him in the garden, before sin had come in the world, before any mistakes had happened, before anything, God didn't call that good. In fact, God said it wasn't good. So Adam's in a perfect place with unbroken um, communication with God, and yet it's not good. And here's why, because even in that place where he could talk to God and had all of his needs met, he didn't have any community with one another. Think of this, it almost sounds blasphemous, that all his needs met, communication with God, God said there was still something lacking in his life, that God had made him for community, and so he made Eve and presented her to Adam, and then God said it was very good. So God's made us for community. And I was thinking this week, we prepare for everything in life, but, but we're so, uh, we lack, I think, some purposefulness when it comes to forming friendships. We prepare for work, we prepare for what college we're going to, prepare for our future, to invest our money, for retirement, and yet something so huge in our life, which is community and friendships, we oftentimes don't prepare for that. We just spontaneously let it happen. And so I want to talk to us today about what would it be like to to live life on purpose, to know we need friends, to realize that our relationships make us or break us, to realize that we don't go just as far as our dream, we go just as far as our team, and we need one another, and God's created us for community. And so how do we get good friendships? How do we be good friends? We're going to learn all that today. You good with me? Everybody with me today? Come on, I'm going to say it one more time. Maybe there's a Baptist in the room that'll say amen. Okay. Anybody with me today? Come on. Anybody with me? Okay, great. Yeah. Let me me show you how how amazing David and Jonathan's friendship was because uh, it's interesting Jonathan was even willing to oppose his father. So Saul got jealous of David because there was this song being sung. And the song went something like this. David has killed thousands, but but, uh, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed ten thousands. And this upset Saul because he was like, don't be talking about me like that, putting me on the second shelf. And so he got jealous and he tried to kill David. And Jonathan comes, and I want you to see this, he confronts his dad. He's a real friend. So Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. Time out. How many know real friends talk well about you when you aren't there? That's just true. David is nowhere around here, but Jonathan spoke well of David to his father and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant. He has not wronged you. And what he's done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. And the Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? I want you to see this. Jonathan was willing to to call out his own dad, to put himself in a place that wasn't safe, that was risky. He just looks his dad, the king, right in the eyes and says, what you're trying to do to David is not right. He's done nothing wrong for you. He's just conquered for you. And now this jealousy has sprang up in your heart. And so he confronts him. I want you to just write it down. It's number two there on your notes. Here it is. Real friends comfort and confront. Come on, say that with me. Real friends what? They what? Comfort and confront. 
They're willing both to say good things and challenging things. And we need friends in our life that can do both. They can comfort and confront. Jonathan would do that for David. He'd comfort him. He'd encourage him. We'll see it in a minute. He'd, he'd look out for him, but he also wasn't afraid to confront his dad and tell people around him the truth. And I think we need both in our life, friends who can comfort us and friends who can confront us. Now, I think the danger is to have friends who are all comfort or friends who are all confrontation, right? So the all comfort friends, they're the people who never tell you anything's wrong with you. You're the best. You're perfect. You're amazing. Oh my gosh, you have it all together. How many know you don't? Right? But, but, but then you could have another group of friends, right, that are all confrontation, right? They just got the spiritual gift of correction. And they're no fun. They're not Friday night friends. How many know sometimes you just need to go out to dinner on a Friday night and not think about anything but just laugh? How many need those kind of friends in your life, right? We need friends who can comfort and who confront, can confront. We need friends, you know how somebody's a real friend when they come to your house and you don't even clean up the house before they come? That's how they're a real friend. The fake friends, we've all got a little coat closet, don't we, that we jam everything in. But the real friends, there's a coat on the floor, big deal. And here's how you know you're a real friend. If you want to get something to drink, get it yourself. Real friend. David and Jonathan had this relationship where they could both comfort one another and speak confrontation to one another. Here's what Proverbs says. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Or as one person said, real friends stab you in the front. Meaning, if your friend has a choice to either let you bring harm to yourself by doing something stupid or hurt your feelings by confronting you and being honest, real friends say, this might hurt for a minute, but I love you enough to not let you go down this path. I'm going to speak truth into your life. The Bible calls it admonishing, encouraging, correcting. We, we need this balance in our life, don't we? of encouragement, 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 life-giving, but we also need truth-speaking in our life, don't we? I may know a real friend just says, that was stupid. Now, there are times in life to not, I mean, I think, you know, listen, it's not just about always being honest. I've met people who are like, well, if they ask me if their baby's cute, it's not. I'm going to tell them the truth. Well, that's not smart. But I'm talking about like with real things in life, pulling people aside at the right moment and lovingly, caringly, with already having an investment in their life and love and care behind it so that they're not overwhelmed by it. Say, so, hey, when you did this, this is, did you know, what, have you ever thought, this is, and, and speak truth. Jonathan and David had that in his life. And Jonathan was even willing to risk his life for David. Even willing to confront his own father, the king. And you know, it's actually interesting because David and Jonathan's friendship is an unlikely one because Jonathan's friendship with David actually comes at his own personal expense. Because Jonathan should be the next king of Israel, but David's been anointed king. And so I want you to think of this. Jonathan and David being friends means Jonathan is losing out on his own career advancement. He's losing out on becoming king. But here, 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 I want you to see it. In fact, somebody says this to him, First uh, Samuel 20, as long as this son of Jesse, David, lives on this earth, 
neither you nor your kingdom will ever be established. So people are telling him, hey, do you know this, Jonathan? If you keep pushing David forward, he's going to become the king, and you're, you're never going to get the role you want in life. Just write this down. It's number three. It's so crucial in friendships. Friends should be, should be what? Friends should be selfless. Friends should be in it not just for what they can get out of it, but what they can give out of it. Friends who care for one another. That's what a friend is. It says, I'm not just about me, I'm about you. I'm not just about my thing, I'm about your thing. I'm not just about my dreams, I'm about your dreams. I exist for more than just me, I exist for you. A friend is, is, not, is not selfish, they're selfless. I remember some of the best friends we've ever made in our life was, was when we moved we, we had lived, went to college in Rhode Island, and then we went to seminary in Alabama. Now, uh, if any of you have lived in New England, it is different than Alabama, okay? We moved to, I mean, Birmingham, Alabama. I mean, it was the South, Piggly Wiggly, okay? I mean, all in South. And uh, I'll never forget the second time we visited a church. The first time we visited, we met a couple of couples. And the second time I was pulling into the church, by the way, it wasn't in Birmingham. It was outside of Birmingham in a town called Hueytown. Hey, how many know you in the South when you in Hueytown? <laughs> Hueytown, okay? Pull into this church in Hueytown and something, I, I don't know if something was happening with my tire, but it was losing air pressure. And two hours later, we come out of church and, and all of a sudden, this guy that we had met the week before got our keys, went to Sam's Club, put a new tire on, handed me the keys. He's like, yeah, bro, it's all fixed. And I, I don't exactly know what he said, but in super southern dialect, he lets me know he's fixed my tire. It's all taken care of. And there I met one of the best friends I would ever make in my life, Ben Caffey. He was a mechanic and an EMT. Hey, hey, you don't get a better friend his wife was a nurse. You can fix my car. Take my blood pressure. They gave us so much free medication. I don't even know what they do in Alabama, but it ain't right. I'm just saying, right? They'd start an IV on you in the parking lot, I swear, okay? But man, they were just some of the most selfless people I've ever met in my life. I'll never forget. They were just good friends. He said, I want to teach you how to fish. You know how to fish southern style. I said, no. And she said, I'll pick you up at 4. And I said, really? How? But it's going to be dark. And he, he meant 4 a.m. I said, okay. I, I, I'll never forget. He picks me up. We head to this little river. We got canoes. And they're, they're, he's opened this one cooler. And he's loading guns into the cooler. And I said, I thought we were fishing. Why are all the guns? And he said, oh, you need a gun? I said, I don't think so. He said, you didn't bring a gun? I said, no, I didn't. He's like, oh, we always have. Hey, in Alabama, even grandma's carrying. I'm just telling you. Man, those are some of the, I mean, they were just selfless, loving, caring. What's, how can we help you? We love you. Southern hospitality. In fact, since we moved from there, they just had so many kids. They have 10 kids, okay? One year ago, they were driving to D.C. They said, can we stay with you? I said, you have 10 kids? No. You absolutely can't. I don't, I don't want anything like that, but I'll, I'll give you 100 bucks towards a hotel, and I'll cook you breakfast. So I need to learn to be more selfless, okay? Man, friends should be selfless. Look at this. Proverbs 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. People who love us, serve us, care for us in good times, bad times, up times, down times, when you're in a good mood, when you're in a bad mood. How many know the real test of friendship is whether or not you can just sit there and say nothing? 
That's when you're a real friend. You get in the car, I don't want to talk. Good. We happy, you know. Friends who, who are selfless. You know, I was thinking, as I was thinking about this weekend, of all the different ways we form friendships. And one of the other things I thought that was amazing about David's life is he needed discernment when it came to his friendships. You see, he had people in his life that he could trust, but he also had people in his life that he couldn't trust. And how many know that's true in our lives as well? And David had to make choices when it came to friends. In fact, his own son, Absalom, that he should have been able to trust, turned his back on him and came against him. But, but David also had loyal people in his life, like Joab, the commander of the army, and, Saul, and Saul's son, Jonathan, who you would have wondered, but he was loyal too. And, 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 and I just want you to know this, because I think this is true in all of our lives. Just write it down. We can't be too like syrupy about friendship, because I think this is true. Friends need to be chosen wisely. Let me just say this this weekend. We owe everyone love, but we do not owe everyone access into our lives. So, so here's what I'm saying. Unwise people say, well, I'm just going to be friends with everyone. No big deal. Well, David had a guy throwing spears at him, trying to kill him a few times. You can't just say, no big deal. I understand it was a bad day. No, the second time you try to kill me, we're not going to Cracker Barrel anymore. Come on, right? Friends need to be chosen wisely, and I think we agree we all need to love everyone. That's the calling of the church, that Jesus has come to rescue people and to, to do a work in people's lives, and we ought to love every man, woman, boy, and girl. How many believe that's true? We ought to love everyone, right? But that doesn't mean that, that we owe everyone equal access to our life. That is foolish. Friends need to be chosen wisely, and David had to do that in his life. Look what the Bible says. Walk with the wise and become wise, but, it, but if you walk with the fools you'll suffer harm, right? So here's what the Bible is saying. We, we should love everyone, care for everyone, do outreach for everyone. Jesus did that. But that doesn't mean that everyone has the same level of, of, of access to our lives. That's unwise. Because the inner crowd, the inner circle, the people that speak into our lives need to be people that we trust and have wisdom and, and, and discernment in our lives. And some of us need to learn what, what, what boundaries are in that area. Here's what boundaries are. Boundaries are putting up fences that are strong enough to keep bad things out, and yet they have gates in them to let good things in. This means that in our relational world, I want you to hear me this weekend, it is not unspiritual to build boundaries for the safety of you and your family. How many know that's true? Katie and I were married uh, our second year, going into our junior year of college, so... We lived, our first apartment was on campus, 250 square feet. There was only room in it to love. You know what I mean? Like, that was it. And 250 square foot apartment. And, and we, I had this one friend in my class. Actually, I think it was one class above me named Dan O'Connell. And Dan O'Connell started coming by our apartment every day around dinner time. He would knock on the door, okay? And, and, he, and he would just come at like 5, 5.15, 5.30. And he'd be like, oh, you're cooking dinner. I can come back. And we'd be like, no, it's fine. Come in. And then you kind of, when he's sitting there, you feel obligated to, to let him eat with you, right? So this started happening like regularly. He never came over in the afternoon, never came over at night. We called him dinner time Dan, Okay. Because he literally only showed up at dinner. So finally one day we we're just getting tired of it. He knocks on the door at like 5, 5.15. We get out. Shh. Don't move. And, he, and all of a sudden, oh, my blood pressure went down as he walked away. Like, oh, thank goodness. 
And like three minutes later, I hear the door on the hallway of the apartment open, and here come, and he knocks on the door again, and he yells, hey, I saw your car in the parking lot. I know you're in there. Answer the door. How many know we need boundaries in our life? So we, we, we made a deal with him. I didn't know how to deal with it. It was like, well, okay, but, but you know, sometimes we don't want you to, to, to like, stop it, you know, like, we don't have any money, and we're feeding you all the time, you only come at five, and we, and this is, and so, basically, we got a whiteboard, this is true, we got a whiteboard for the outside of our door, and we would just put, do not disturb Dan, (laughs) not even just do not disturb world, just Dan, everybody else can disturb, Dan can't disturb, and he wasn't even offended by it, he was like, totally, that's a cool code for us, and I was like, no, it ain't a code, stop coming by, He's like, you forgot to erase it. No, I didn't. It's just up there. It's a fixture in our life. Because we need a boundary, Dan. Man, that's true in our lives. As we're loving people, as we're caring for people, as we're doing our best to form godly relationships, we owe everyone love, but we don't owe everyone access to our lives. And so good, healthy friendship says, what's, what's best for this season of my life? Who are the right people to speak into my inner world? And how does that work in our lives? And how do we do that? Because here's something true. Real friends and good friends are going to be people that help us grow spiritually. And that's what happened David with David and Jonathan, was Jonathan and David had a friendship that pushed them both towards God. In fact, in David's tough times, I want you to see it, 1 Samuel 23, 16, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him what? Help him what? Find strength in God. In David's weak moment, Jonathan didn't push David to Jonathan. Jonathan pushed David to God. And our best friendships and relationships will push other people towards God. Hey, the people closest in our life ought to be people that their proximity to us makes our proximity to God closer. That they're going to nudge me in that direction. That they're going to challenge me and call things out of me, strengthen me and bring, bring hope in my life in certain ways. Or, or here it is, number five there on the notes. Real friends, real friends, push you towards God. That's what they do. Their presence in your life makes you more like Jesus, not less like Jesus. Their presence in your life nudges you towards all God has for you and not against it. The, listen, the people in our closest innermost world need to be people that make us better for God's glory and purpose and kingdom, not dragging us away from God. I'm not talking about outreach. I'm not talking about casual friends. I'm not talking about acquaintances at work. I'm, I'm saying the people that occupy the inner core of our life need to be people that push us towards God. And the second thing is we should remind ourselves that we ought to be people that push other people towards God. And that's what David and Jonathan had together. When they were together, they were driven to be more like God. And you and I probably have some people in our lives and in our friendships, in our relationships, that when we're with them, we become more and more like God. Our faith gets deeper, stronger, more drawn to him in those times. I want to share you one more thing about David and Jonathan's friendship. Jonathan had a fear, and here's what it is. He told David. He said that his fear was that after he was off the scene and David became king, that, that his, he was fearful his family wouldn't be safe. That sounds crazy to us, but let me just explain to you what happened in ancient monarchies. And that was that if there was a, um, another king whose uh, lineage was a threat to the throne, 
Oftentimes a new incoming king and the army would, would kill off any possible heirs to the throne. It was a way of securing their power, securing their influence, securing their future rulership. And Jonathan's fear was that when something happened and David became king and that, that because his family was in the line of, of Saul, that the military commanders and everyone would pressure David to kill off his family. And so he said, I have a question for you, David. When I'm gone, when I'm not around, will you just promise me that my family will be safe? And David makes a promise to him that his family will be safe. But there's a crazy little story, a few verses in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where David now, uh, uh, Jonathan has died, and David is now king. And he calls for one of Jonathan's sons, and the son's name is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was born with, um, with a disability. He was unable to walk. And David calls Mephibosheth to him, and I want you to know this. Mephibosheth is scared because he understands the custom. The custom is, uh-oh, I've got royal blood running through my veins. And if David is trying to secure his throne, which is what most kings do, then that means I'm probably being called to be killed. And so he arrives at David's uh, uh, palace, and I want you to see the words, Second Samuel chapter 9, they're so strong. David says to him, do not be afraid, David says to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. Now, I want you to see two things that are amazing, and then I'll make an application. He not only tells this man he's not going to die, he tells him something even better, that he's going to give him all the land that his father, who was the king, who would have owned much land, that he's going to give it back, restore it, give it to him. This is like, this is like, like David saying, I will give you Glen Allen. Like, it's a good day, you know, like, <laughs> What kind of land? How, you want Goochland, Glen Allen? What do you want? Like, okay. Yeah, this is a good day. Okay. And so what's amazing is when Mephibosheth could have been killed, he's not only given life, but he's given restoration. And then David says something shocking. And you will always eat at my table. He says, I'm giving you a lifetime gift card to Carabas. Here's what biblical scholars tell us, that David is a picture of another David who would come in the line of David, who is Jesus. And that he would become a king, okay? And, and even though the first king, David, sinned, how many know the second king, Jesus, never sinned, right? But that you and I, you know who we are in this story, is we're, we are the crippled son of Jonathan, we, through our own mistakes and our own decisions, have fallen short. We have, a, we have a deficit, a challenge, through our own decisions and our own choices. And we stand before the king, and the choice is, I mean, he'd be just to punish us. We, too, could be earning of death. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. We haven't been perfect, right? How many know you haven't been perfect Come on, 11.15. How many know you haven't been perfect, right? Yeah. yeah, you say, I'm in church. Yeah, but we haven't been perfect. That's why we're here. And when we stand before the king and we're just waiting, almost like Mephibosheth, what, will he, what, what edict will he pass down? Will he off with your head? Will he give me the just punishment that I deserve for my own choices? The second king, David, said something better. No, no, no. For the sake of of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, I will show you kindness and I'll restore you. And even more than that, think of this, 
I'll give you a seat at the table. Whoa. I want you to know this this morning. If you're new to church and you say, what is religion about? Is it getting kind of close to a God who's real ticked off at me and tiptoeing around and uh, I hope he doesn't, get, I hope I don't get mad and he just thunderbolts me from heaven and I fry. Like what if I take communion the wrong way? Will I just choke on it? Will God kill me? You know, Here's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is though we were deserving justice and separation from the king, there was a king who sought us out. And when we entered into his presence full of fear, he says, you do not need to be afraid. I will show you kindness and love and mercy. I'm going to restore to you the broken places of your life. And even more than that, I'm not going to hold you at a distance to some religious relationship. I'm going to invite you to have a seat at my table, a relationship with God Almighty. Question for you this morning, chapel. Anybody thankful for the grace of God that offers us restoration and a seat at the table? And David says to Mephibosheth, you're not only going to not die, but I'm going to do something even better for you. I'm going to give you all the land of your grandpa, Saul, and I'm going to restore it all to you, and then I'm going to let the whole kingdom know that you aren't far away from me. Every night you have an invitation to a seat at the king's table. And Mephibosheth knows he's not worthy of it. In fact, he says this. He bows his head and he says, What is your servant (laughs) that you should notice a dead dog like me? You say, Oh, that's bad thinking. No, no, no. He just realizes the king didn't have to do that for him. Hey, friends. The king didn't have to do that for us. The king didn't have to. And that's why in these moments we say, what, what am I that you would think of me? Last point, here it is. Ultimate friendship is our greatest hope. Let's be good friends and let's pursue healthy relationships. and Let's confront and comfort and encourage and let's form community and let's get involved in chapel groups and let's do life together. Yeah, 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 yeah. But let's not be in any way forgetful of the fact that the ultimate story of the Bible is that God takes people, us, who should have been far away from him, and he doesn't even make us servants. He makes us friends. Catch this. You can be a friend of God. You can, like, talk to God you can like communicate with God he doesn't even just make us his servants he makes us his friends and I I had this picture going on in my mind as Mephibosheth is in his chair and he's wheeled into the king's presence unable to walk I had this picture that when he's pushed up to the table the table covers his condition And I just wrote this down, and then we're going to sing. When you're seated at the table, the position covers up your condition. The story of the grace of God is not that God holds our sin against us or that he blasts us with our shame. The story of the gospel is that God pulls us up to the table, and the tablecloth covers our past and our shame And our brokenness is taken away because of his grace. Anybody grateful this weekend 
that we didn't take every sin of yours and put it up on this LED screen. Come on, it's a new big screen. Downtown, you're getting a new big screen like this. And uh, anybody grateful that your worst days weren't written in the Bible? Anybody grateful that because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And if you don't know that today, you can know it because of the grace of God. I'd love to pray for us today. Can I do that? Would you bow your heads with me? Nobody's looking around, but if you're here today and you're not certain of where you're at with God, all you have to do is say, Brandon, would you pray for me? And it's a cry of your heart. God will hear your prayer. Nobody's looking around, but if you're here today and you say, Brandon, I don't know where I'm at with God, we just raise your hand and put it right back down? Or you've wandered away from God? Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Are there others? Yeah, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Yep, thanks. Anybody else? You just raise your hand. Yeah, thank you so much. Anybody else before, we're, before we close today? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's not a magic prayer. It's just a cry of your heart, a genuine, authentic prompting from your heart to God, and he'll hear you. That says, I've made a mess of my life, but I surrender today. I turn away from my sin and myself, and I give my heart to you. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Today I confess that with my mouth and believe it in my heart that you're who you said you are and you did what you said you did. So come into my life and change it today. In Jesus' name, amen.